morning. Good Erev Shabbos to everybody. You're listening to Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Hod Golan, the height of taste. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Naomi Nachman. I'm about all the food, all the time. I love food. I love to shop for it, cook, cook it, eat it, eat it at restaurants, anything food-related. I'm a kosher personal chef. My business is called the Aussie Gourmet. I give cooking classes. I cater for people for Shabbat, for Yontov, for Pesach. Give Pesach a big shout-out. Um, small parties, anytime you don't feel like cooking, give me a call. Um, I hope you'll tune in and stick with me, uh, hear about my cooking adventures, kosher food traveling, and sharing of great food ideas each week. But I'd like to hear about your experiences too. So it's easy to get in touch with me. You can join my newsletter through my website, theaussiegourmet.com. You can follow me on Facebook, uh, The Aussie Gourmet, uh, Pinterest, Twitter, all those social media out- outlets. <laughs> you can find me. Um, so I'd like to hear from you. If you ate something really cool at a really great restaurant, where you ate it, what you ate, let me know. I'd love to hear all about it. Um, so I just want to thank everybody for coming out to last week's show. Uh, in Gourmet Glout, we had a blast. We did a uh, Erev Purim show in Cedarhurst, and we had a wonderful time. We had great guests. Um, most importantly, we had uh, some giveaways and, and samplings and wine tastings. It was great. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, if you missed that show, you can catch it online on nachumsegel.com. You can go into the archives and listen to it on Table for Two on the archive. Uh, you can catch up on the podcast on iTunes. And you can watch the show even. Very exciting addition to the Nachum Siegel Network. So you can go on to YouTube. You go to Nachum Siegel Net, one word, and you'll find all our bunch of our shows that we, you know, recording with a videotape as well. Um, not broadcasting with a videotape. <laughs> I don't know how to say it properly. Technical terms. Okay, so we've got a great show here today. I had a great food experience last night. Somebody called me up and said to me, uh, I run a Pesach program in Lake George and we heard you do cooking classes. Would you like to join me, uh, in the, in, would you and your family like to join us uh, for Pesach uh, in, in Lake George? And it was not something I had expected or planned. So it was like, what a nice bonus and addition for us. So I'm going to be joining uh, the Pesach group. It's called Pesach in Lake George. And their website is PesachinLakeGeorge.com. Uh, we're going to be hearing from, uh, in a, I think next week, I'm going to actually be interviewing some of the people from there. Um, but they've got, you know, you know, if people have not made their Pesach, plan, Pesach plans, join me. I'm going to be doing cooking demonstrations, uh, wine and cheese tastings, um, and pairings. Um, they also have other guests, uh, Dimitri Salita, who is, <coughs> I hope I'm saying it right, Salita. Uh, he's breaking the boundaries, the Jewish boxer that, you know, the Jewish boxer that's been very much in the news. So he's going to be there. They're having concerts and yoga and cooking classes and all the fun stuff that comes along, as well as amazing catering. So, you know, I hope you'll join me and my family um, up at Lake George. Uh, they're just the nicest people I've had to deal with. The fact that they reached out to me really means that uh, they uh, have a lot of faith in, in, you know, and they've listened to our radio shows. And so I hope that maybe some of our listeners will be able to join me as well if they have not made Pesach plans. I'm very lucky today because um, I have with me in the studio a very hush of a guest. I have Gil Marks with me. For those of you, I don't know how on planet Earth you don't know Gil Marks, but Gil is a very talented writer. He's written 
many, many cookbooks. He has Smicha from Yeshiva University. He's done so much. You can check out his website on uh, gilmarks.com. I'd like to welcome Gil Marks. Hi, Gil. Hi, nice to be here. Thank nice you. to see you again. Yeah, you were in, were in uh, right after Kosher Fest I had you on. Yes. So uh, I'm glad I got you back. You're, Gil actually lives in Israel, and he's flown in for a family smachot. I commute more than I kind of want to. <laughs> uh, we need you here too in America. But uh, I can do it, so I'm here for another week or so, and then it's back. Uh, <clears throat> I've spent the last eight uh, Passovers in Israel, Aww. where we only have one Seder and all that kind of stuff. But um, um, I was here for Purim. Okay, yeah, different, We're right? Actually, so different. In in Jerusalem, they have two Purims. You know, the Pur- uh, Shushan Purim is the day after. So people, uh, so Monday actually was a sep, so it's like the opposite of here. They have, people sometimes will have two Purims, uh, two Purims and, and one Seder and where we have, uh, one, uh, two Sedorim and one Purim. I, I noticed that my year in Israel when I went to seminary to Machon Gold back in the day, um, and I, I, I couldn't get over, you know, that was in Yerushalayim, so we had literally two days of Purim <clears throat> and, 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 you know, that was different because Everyone else had one day of Seder night, so I, I kind of felt a little gypped only having one Seder. So I, I'm so used to it now, <laughs> and it's just it's it's lovely. Yeah, <laughs> the way it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I got to be in Israel last year for Pesach, so it was very nice, very special, and it was nice and warm. Right now, it's so cold here in New York. Uh, a little bit above freezing today. We're so like yay. Yes, I was here a little bit in January. I got a, a, my sufficient amount of snow, and we had beautiful weather in Israel in February. And by the time I got back, um, no more snow here, even though my um, brother in Baltimore said they got like five or six inches this past week. But I avoided that, so I'm thankful. But you had a lot of snow in the gush. You posted on your Facebook page heaps of snow. We had a record amount in December. We had three feet in a lone shvut. Uh, <clears throat> those pictures were crazy. I, it's so hard to imagine for me Israel with snow. And the Kotel with snow. Uh, well, I, it's done it a couple of times right. when I was been there. Uh, I remember once a number of years ago in Purim and stuff, but it was like a sprinkling, <clears throat> like we used to get down in, in Richmond, Virginia, uh, where <laughs> they would close the school if there was a uh, half an inch of snow or oh, something. God. Can you imagine? We'd never have snow. School would have been canceled. We'd yeah. never have school. There would have just been no school this winter, much to my children's, you know. They've had about four snow days, but I think those really? days hopefully are past us. But I missed all the rain. They had uh, it was a slow rain year for Israel during the winter, and then they almost made up for it the last couple of a week or so. Uh, it just poured there, so right. I kind of so, missed that. So with all that, do you think it affected <clears throat> the food crops? You know, we're our future. Let's move into a little bit about the foods. Enough about you know the harsh weather. <laughs> but but do, do you think it affected um, the, the food crops? It, the, the weather always affects the, the food, weather in America, but particularly in Israel. I mean, that's a, the ancient biblical thing. That's the Yoren Malkush. That's what you say in the Shema twice a day. Um, and what, uh, what people don't understand is a whole pattern. And if it falls properly, 
you have an early rain, you have the major winter rains, and then you have the late rains. Uh, and if they fall at the wrong time um, or not at all, it can really mess up the crop significantly. And so part of the natural divine process is if the if you, if you is the rains um, being proper, uh, but that aside, uh, I mean some of the early snow uh, destroyed a lot of like the strawberries and some of the yeah. early and, and stra- crops. Strawberries are like a rare commodity in Israel, any case, right? Uh, not anymore. They have a night. They have a night strawberry. And <clears throat> what I did notice is uh, Israeli strawberries actually have flavor, unlike American strawberries. Really? The American strawberries no. have been bred to certain varieties for shipping and and storage and appearance pro- right. uh, thing. They look and good. There's they- no flavor. I, I and a lot of the blueberries too. You go I went I go around in America, you go to the organic stores, you go to all these different things and there's still no flavor. It's just horrible. And the Israeli strawberry, I took one and I'm and I'm like looking up <laughs> to heaven because they Hashem. <laughs> because the Israelis care about a number of things, but they want flavor. Right. So they burst the, with flavor. So the Israeli fruits and vegetables are um, are have been developed uh, both for their growing processes and, and stuff, but they have to have flavor, and so it's just so much better there. I mean, I will have uh, the breakfast, my favorite breakfast once you get to um, strawberry season. I'll just have goat yogurt, plain goat yogurt um, with strawberries, and it's the best. And during the fall, when the pomegranates come, oh, it's goat yogurt you had with me, you pomegranates. Had me, you had me at pomegranate. <clears throat> we love pomegranate in our house. We put it in everything we possibly – the minute they – from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, it's pomegranate in our house. Same, I love those. And it's just – um, that's one of the joys of and differences of eating in Israel is the the produce is just so yeah. so much uh, superior when it comes to flavor. Yeah, I I I, de- I definitely taste that when when I love going to the shuk and I love to see and and smell the aromas are stronger because they've got better taste. They have a better smell. And I don't know if that's psychological. You know, that's just me. You know, thinking everything in Israel is great. Do you think if it has a better Taste, it's more has a better aroma. I would imagine that. Well, so. often those things are connected. Right. I mean, okay. Anybody I'm who does so <laughs> anybody who does wine tasting understands yes. that um, process. Or like myself at the moment with the cold, um, there's no taste to I most know. things because you kill. can't taste anything with um, without uh, your nose. Without your nose. Yeah, my kids. I made something the other night, and they go, "Mom, this wasn't so good." I made this it was actually some sort of like experiment with coleslaw. Um, and, and I, um, I tried to make it Asian flavored. I put in too much lemon. My daughter says to me, I really like your coleslaw in general. And they like, this one particular daughter likes that lemony because I had to eat, hold my nose when I was eating it. I'm like, oh, gee, thanks. Thanks, dear. <laughs> but you eat with your eyes. Yeah. You eat with your nose. And you only have like four types of taste in your mouth if you think about it. So it's kind of, you know, sweet, sour, but it, it's, salty, yeah. salt. it's, it, the, the nuances of flavor and enjoyment of food come from your other senses. Right. Well, I say hearing. Food is hearing. Like when I cook, you know, people who have come to my cooking demonstrations, when I 
when I when I say sear a piece of tuna or something. So I like that. Or sauté an onion when I get my onion hot. Yeah, put the you know make a sear with the tuna and that sizzle sound. I always put the microphone next to the food so people can hear that sizzle sound because it's literally all my senses go into my food and I like to hear it, see it, smell it, taste it, well, any- feel it. I like to feel my food. Any cook uses their senses because, as you said, you, you hear certain things, you feel certain things. Uh, you can touch a piece of meat or fish and see whether it's, it, whether it's uh, raw, whether it's uh, uh, medium, you know, too done. Uh, you can just touch it and, and feel things or you could smell things and hear things. And you use all those processes in, in that. And um, particularly when your cooking is an, is an art. It's the produce, the, all the items vary from day to day. So you can get asparagus one day, uh, and it, would, it could be quite different the next day. Right. So the, the cooking time will be slightly off, uh, and something like asparagus, you really don't want to undercook it or overcook it. You kind of need, it's that thing where it's best at that one, that proper stage. My kids love overcooked asparagus. Uh, I'm like dying. I'm like, Simmy, you cannot eat it like that. <laughs> to me, that, that should go into a soup. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was like crying, but they like it like that. So I'm like, oh, I do some a little overdone. I take, leave them, right. throw them back in. But Gil, yeah. Yeah. No, but that's just part of the process is, is, is learning that. And then sometimes, you know, there's not enough flavor. There's, Acids and other elements in food, so some days they're lower or higher, so you might have to put a little lemon juice right. or Spruce balsamic vinegar or something mm-hmm. on it to spark it up, uh, or sometimes you might have to tone things down. It kind of, uh, that, how does that's how one you tone it. down something for food? I know you spruce it up salt, a little, a little lemon juice. How to tone, what does one tone something down? Um, their fats can go into it. A little um, oil, a right? Little, uh, olive, olive oil, oil <laughs> a little butter at a milk mm. meal. Um, different butter. things can, can, um, that you can play with to, to develop your foods properly. That's why I love having Gil in, um, just, you know, besides just talking about, we're going to switch gears in a minute and talk about Pesach food and Pesach food trivia. But he knows so much about every aspect of cooking. So, you know, he's got his encyclopedia in front of him. Uh, that, what's the name of the, it's, what's the Enso- text? It's called? Encyclopedia of Jewish Food. Uh, encyclopedia of Jewish Food. It literally looks like an encyclopedia. It's it is encyclopedia. Like the old, okay, kids, those who, children who are listening and watching, cause I know you're out there, I get emails from your parents saying how much you like watching and listening. Um, but, an encyclopedia is a big fat book. I can't believe I have to explain to kids what an encyclopedia might be. It's a big fat book, maybe a half a half a foot thick all the way around and full of facts. So, you know, he's got one on food. I'm sure is there an app version of that? A downloadable version? Um, I think there's um hmm. there is an e version. Okay. I think on Kindle. Oh, that's good because that's a pretty big book and if you want to read on the train, it's amazing. It's so full, he takes every single Jewish food, right? And he writes about it. Um, that's it's my life and my my work for um, the accumulation of it is all the history and culture and understanding of Jewish food from around the world. Um, and together, it tells the story of Jewish people for the past two thousand years. So let's talk about the Exodus, matzah. 
Let's talk about how matzah really began. Okay. I have heard <clears throat> even rabbis say, well, we eat the same matzah that Moses ate. Yeah, really? And Moses had nothing like uh, <laughs> the hard Ashkenazic matzah. That actually, the it, the cracker-like matzah is a relatively late innovation. Um if you look, if you look at what the uh, Yemenites eat, the Bukharans, you can. If you go to, um, you can get uh, on the internet frozen uh, Sephardic soft matzah. And I, I never real, knew there was a difference. Right? Real matzah, the original matzah, the kind that Moses Moshe ate, um, was sort of like a firm pita bread. Uh, it, the cracker came much later. Uh, but, and actually, if you really want to know, the first matzah, the Egyptian matzahs were most definitely made from emer wheat, which is a primitive variety of wheat, um, and not modern bread wheat, which in no way existed anywhere near the Egypt or the Middle East at that point of time. Um, so, I actually, um, know, a, um, a Jewish farmer who lives part-time in Israel and part-time here who raises einkorn eat, uh, wheat, which is a very primitive form of wheat, and emer wheat, um, which is called em ha-chita, the in Hebrew, the mother of wheats, because most modern wheats, including durum, uh, semolina, spelt, and com- common bread wheat, are descended from it. Okay. Um, and... and, the, and w- we know, if you want to know what the grains were in Paro's dream, it was yeah. emer wheat. Oh, really? It okay. wasn't corn. That's just an English mis- uh, misunderstanding because their corn, it, it means grain. Uh, it, it, corn comes from South America and in no way was at, ever in uh, ancient Egypt. Uh, as again, it wasn't modern bread wheat, it was emmer wheat, and anywhere in all the archaeological diggings, any understanding of ancient Egypt is the predominant grain was emmer wheat, this primitive variety of wheat. Um, which N- Non-GMO, right? Non-GMO. <laughs> Back um, to the beginning. It's actually very interesting because... I had read it makes horrible bread, blah blah blah, and I actually uh, a couple years ago Did got oh yeah I got 100% organic einkorn wheat and emmer wheat and flour and you made it and I made challahs from it pure challah and it was delicious <gasps> it tastes so much better it it doesn't get as fluffy because okay. it has less gluten and actually. Uh, certain people who are not gluten allergic but gluten sensitive yeah, okay. can eat einkorn and emmer um, as wheat uh, that cannot eat modern bread wheat, which has been bred particularly over the past 50 years to just have this incredibly high uh, gluten content, which is one of the reasons why so many people have become sensitive to it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, – it made wonderful. It, it rose nicely. It made just wonderful, wonderful challahs. Uh, and that's that's if you want to know uh, the predominant mat. The, or the first matzahs Your were emmer wheat, emmer wheat, uh, okay. and they were soft. I have a friend in Alonshvut where I live in Israel, David Katz, who has for a number of years been exploring bread and matzahs. And so, heir of Pesach. 
he makes, and I help get to help out. Is oh, there cool. anybody else who wants volunteers? So if you're in Israel and want to come to Long Shavuot, Arab Pesach, come up, and you'll see we make hard uh, Ashkenazic matzah and soft Sephardic matzah. What is Sephardic? I'm sorry to interrupt you right this. Sephardic matzah, like, like people in, you know, uh, I guess from Sparad in Spain, they had a different kind of matzah. They had a different. Uh, they had I'm the like, original I matzah. Had absolutely no idea. They had, as do all oh. the Mizrahim, the Easterners, the Yemenites, uh, Bukharans, all these other non-Ashkenazic yeah. groups always make, and mo- many of them still do make soft matzahs. And and you can buy these in. Uh, okay. I, in the, in the five towns, I'm sure it's not uh, available, but I know there's a large Sephardic community in Brooklyn. You can go into a supermarket there I and know buy you Sephardic can, matzah and it's soft. Well, the thing about the soft matzah and one of the problems, without, because that would take me a whole program we could, to we discuss could, it we could, anyway. Yeah, and we're running out of time already. Um, <laughs> Uh, it gets stale very quickly. Okay. So throughout history, you they except for Shabbat, they made fresh matzah daily. Oh, uh, on Pesach. On right? Pesach. You, oh my God! Can you um, imagine? And that's where the problem began when Ashkenazim uh, outlawed uh, making matzah on Pesach anymore. And so when because you, it's considered because it becomes chametz. Yeah, no, no, can't. no. You can do it if you make a if there's a if you do something wrong. Uh, with matzah before Pesach, there's no problem. Right. If you if there's a if you do something wrong with making matzah on Pesach, it's chametz, and there's a big problem. So during the late medieval period, um, Ashkenazim outlawed it, and you can actually see in what happens is that when the dough becomes as hard as the amount of water in the modern Ashkenazic dough is much much less, uh, and it's much harder. So actually, females have a hard time kneading it. Because you really need really strong muscle power. You need to, to do need it. it hard. You need to do it. So you actually, if you look at lithographs from the Middle Ages, you'll see at the beginning, and when the Talmud yeah. talks about matzah making, it's always women's work. Men never made matzah. Women's work. I thought. I think all cooking in our religion revolves around re- women's re- work. Well, bread making in particular. Um, well, we have that bracha that we, you know, hapasha schala yeah. is really geared. Another women's makers. Yeah. Um, and, and so all of a sudden you, you'll see that in early medieval Ashkenazic lithographs, the women are kneading the matzah. And then all of a sudden it shifts to men kneading and the women rolling it out. And that's the point where the dough shifts over and the women, but that's a whole other. So if you want to know with matzah, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, but, as, so if you go to Machane Yehuda yeah. in, Jer- in Jerusalem, the main shuk, the main marketplace, you can buy frozen Bukharan soft matzah. Oh, now is that is that considered kidney for an Ashkenaz? No, it's not kidney. It's, that's a whole other thing. Okay, yeah, now, let's there not is go into a, that now. <laughs> there is a big machlokus, and actually in Australia, there was a ve- uh, like two, three years ago, there was a very, very big dispute over whether you can whether Ashkenazim were allowed to use the soft matzahs or not. Hmm, um, I want to try it. So you you could check. Um, <clears throat> But uh, you can buy, if you go on the internet, you can find um, uh, uh, frozen Sephardic soft matzahs. But that's just one aspect of it. Okay. So we had a lot of education about matzah. I had no idea about the whole Sephardic. Can we just talk about the matzah ball? Because we're running out of time. And, and, you know, I could have Gil in here for like four hours. We could have a marathon with you. (laughs) Um, I would like to talk about matzah balls. Right. How how did the matzah ball come to be what it is? And the difference between a head people say to me, you know, I cook for people of Pesach, like are yours heavy or are they light and fluffy? Are they small or are they big? 
Nobody in Australia would ever serve these big giant matzo balls that I see in America. Like, what's the whole, you know, in okay. less than five minutes we've got? Right. Okay, here's a whole long history. Is that actually the concept of cooking uh, doughs in water is relatively new in the West. No matter what the ancient, uh, tr- uh, t- what the Italians would tell you, the Etruscans did not make pasta. Uh, you don't, it, it, the concept of that comes down the Silk Road into uh, Asia during the medieval period. And actually the very first mention of a boiled dough outside of China is the Jerusalem Talmud. Okay. And, and then it finally it makes its way into Italy in the early 1200s and then gradually makes its way up to the Franco-German community of the Ashkenazim so that in the 13 and 1400s they're beginning to make um, both pasta and on Pesach um, and, and dumplings. And on Pesach, their dumplings are made from matzah. But it's mainly crumbled matzah. It's too much work for most people to sit there by hand and grinding up the matzah. I go to to Gourmet Glatt, um, who's one of our sponsors from our show, uh, on our What's for Dinner segment. And we, I go to the store and I pick up my box of striped matzah. Right. Right. So Dove Bear Manischewitz, who was whose real name was Berman, he actually bought a dead man's passport by the name of Manischewitz <laughs> he, uh, to get to get out of typical to get oh, out of um to to get out of the, the draft I think to get out of the draft but to get out of uh, he was from Lithuania okay. which was on which was under <laughs> Russian control and we know what Russian control means from the news recently yeah um, absolutely hasn't changed has and, it and, and so he came to America and ended up in Cincinnati where there was no matzah at all right and he was. He was a rabbi, so he would make his own matzah, and then he started making it for family and friends, and he went into the business. And one day he saw his wife sitting there grinding matzah for matzah meal. He says, I, I can do that and sell that. Woohoo! And that's where the matzah ball takes off because just the technological difference of of not having to do that and buy cheap matzah meal uh, meant that uh, that – you could, and so that's where the Knaidlock, the matzo ball, takes off, uh, and then it, it goes, why it gets so big is when it gets into the stores, into the delis, is there, they want something really impressive in the soup, so that uh, the matzo ball almost is bigger features. than the soup ball. It features. It the- features, yeah. Um, but the hard and soft is just, uh, has to do with the process, it's, if you want them softer, use less fat in them. If you want them soft, okay, everybody, this is a great uh, th- for all of us to learn. If you want them soft, use less fat, meaning oil, oil. or schmaltz. Or schmaltz. I don't think anyone does with schmaltz. So schmaltz gives actually gives it a better flavor so and texture. If I have some duck fat, yeah, because I'm making some ducks. If I take duck fat and you say a quarter of a if my recipe calls for a quarter of a cup of oil and I use a quarter of a cup of duck fat, will my matzo balls be amazing? I don't know because it's <laughs> number one. It's not rendered number one, and uh, duck fat's a little bit stronger than either goose fat or chicken fat. I would love goose fat, but it's unavailable. <laughs> uh, but I would try. I, I would do less of it. I would do like one or two tablespoons oh. as opposed, um, and get a sense of so that it doesn't overwhelm it again. Um, it would taste fabulous, though. No? I think so. I've I've cooked French fries in duck fat. If you want the real taste of Ashkenazic cooking, it's schmaltz. You can't, I mean, 
I'm sorry. There was no oil. The predominant oil in Germany until the end of the 1900s was uh, turnip seed oil, which is not good for either your stomach or your taste buds. Um, so what they did is that schmaltz lost flavor, unfortunately, uh, in America, and we started using oil. Um, that made these heavy things. So I found if you use less oil, you'll get a lighter, a uh, fluffier one. That's okay. And the difference between salt and water, not really a difference. A little bit, but not enough to really. You get a little bit of a kick, but not that that much. So it's not really worth. It's it. not really worth it. I mean, um, uh, it, I'll, and I will tell you one thing: if you do have uh, really, if your matzo balls turn out too heavy, put them in the freezer. What is? The freezing process kind of breaks it down a little bit. Like once you've cooked them and then you find yeah. them maybe put the rest of the batch in the freezer. In the freezer, <gasps> and and then when you take them out, they'll be better. My grandmother used to fry an onion and put it in the um, matzo balls too. Right. Well, that's a whole other thing. I mean, uh, there they didn't have much to eat, number one, and they weren't as meat-centric. Meat was a rarity in Europe. It, if, if you had meat once during Pesach or chicken or meat, you know, it was a big thing. Um, this whole meat-centric uh, and the whole amount of it is oh, we get it crazy. comes, comes yeah. into America. That wasn't how right. we and, ate then. And, and I find that Jews and meat and brisket is synonymous with Jewish traditional right. cooking. I don't love the brisket. I, I have learned. I need to cook it for a long, 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 yes. long time. But, but I, you know, just I, just wrap it without anything in, in two layers of heavy duty foil. Stick in the oven at three fifty for four hours, and uh, and that's all. And for take, a five pound piece, yeah. I cooked three five pound briskets yesterday. Yeah. I had some. It was actually Noreen Galette. Shout out to you. I mm-hmm. did a recipe, one of her recipes from her Millennia Yummy. Feel better, cookbook. Noreen. Yeah, we're thinking of you, and she's going to be a guest on our show in a couple of weeks. Oh, okay. I got good. it. Let, I'm letting her recuperate. Gil, thank you so much for joining me. You can stick around um, and join us. I'm going to have Alison uh, Goodwax on the phone. She's actually uh, representing uh, a few different things herself, her business, and um, also she's done, doing some cooking for awesome and promoting their new products. You're welcome to stick around and join us for the rest of the show. Um, so I'm going to introduce our next guest, and, and really, Gil, I, I really I know it's – it's been, uh, you haven't been feeling well, so really thank you very much oh. for coming in. And oh, I, this lifts me up. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Talking if, about food and doing food. If and we can do that and give you a little refuah shalema anytime. <laughs> so, um, Alison, are you there? Alison? Okay, I'm not sure if we still have her on the line. Hold on. <coughs> oh, can you hear me? Oh, okay, yeah, now I can hear you. Hi, Alison. Hi. How are Hi. you? How's it going? I think God, good. Getting over a cold as well. Oh, but, you also. You know. oh, it's the season, you know. I think you know. I, we keep keep talking about the weather, um, but you know, I think one day it's cold. One day it's you know a little nicer. You take your coat off and then you get sick. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, where you? Allison has recently moved to Ohio, right? With her yeah, husband. So um, I moved to Columbus, Ohio, about a month ago, and. Love it here. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I'm happy to hear it. You know, there are nice Jewish communities outside of New York. My parents met at yes. Ohio State University at Hillel there. So oh. I, I'm, I'm due to Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Gil Marks from Columbus also. Yeah. That's cool. So, <laughs> so, um, so um, how are you doing? Everything is – you're all settled now? Yeah, I'm all settled. Um, our house is great. Um Quality life is amazing. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Wonderful. So thank God it's good. Getting settled. Um, 
really working on the business and um, making things happen. I'm so happy. And you've got a lot going on. I'm just going to give a little bit of, you know, I I was on your blog yesterday. Now, Alison has a blog called, she's Alison Gutwax. I didn't say your last name. Am I saying it right? Yeah, you're saying it right. Okay. It's it's Gutwax because it's. The U has, what are they called on top of the U? Um, An umlau. An umlau, which is two dots on top of the U. It's kind of uh-huh. like nekudot. Um, yes. So, uh, where's <laughs> your like husband from? Face. Where's your hu- Where's your husband from? Um, he's originally from Anglewood, New Jersey. But where <laughs> Where did Gutwax come from? Um, Poland. Okay, cool. I never saw yeah. the the, the but uh, Poland Israel a combination of that. It, yeah, it comes from that You never see the the. On Hagen Dazs, that's right. You yeah. see the Nikodot on the on the. I'm calling them Nikodot because I can't remember the word you just said. So she ha- <laughs> she has a blog called Ali Babka. Uh, mm-hmm. She Allison received her training training at CKCA, which we'll talk, we'll just give them a quick shout out um, because they're having two Pesach classes <laughs> coming up. Yeah. If if people want to take their Pesach classes, not your Bobby's uh, Pesach cuisine and their Passover desserts, uh, they're coming up in the next couple of weeks. So you can reach out to CKCA. Um, and, and take those amazing classes. Um, but well, you... I actually, I actually trained at the Institute of Culinary Education, but, um, I'm a huge fan of the CKCA. Oh, I thought you They're went to CKCA. No, so, I mean, the whole, the whole reason why I, I started the blog, actually, um, which is pretty exciting is, um, I, I went to the Institute of Culinary Education, which is in, on 23rd Street, and I was, um, a non, I was a kosher chef in a non-kosher culinary school. And, and that's, oh, that's the so premise hard. Of, of, and that's the reason why I started my blog, and I, started the whole thing because I really wanted to learn everything. Okay. Um, thank God Jesse Bodner over there has been incredible, and um, he's actually um, referred a lot of people to me um, who he's, I was able to work with. Yeah, so, I love um, the CKCA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're wonderful. They're really, they've done a lot, mm-hmm. and, and you can take these two great Pesach classes there um, so, you know, people can, uh, especially Pesach desserts. I think that's a great class to, get, to oh, yeah. take. I wish I had the time for it. So, uh, <laughs> so. Alison also gives cooking classes. Uh, she mm-hmm. cooks for people. She makes amazing hamantashen. I don't know if you saw it on her website. <laughs> Those crazy uh, cocktail hamantashen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I came up with this idea because it was the combination of two main foods in, in Pur- on Purim, and that is alcohol and hamantashen. <laughs> I was like, why not combine the two? Yeah. <laughs> so I made mojito, tequila sunrise, Cosmo, white Russian, whiskey sour. <coughs> did the whiskey have a bunch for the future? Did the whiskey sour one taste like whiskey sour? Yeah, so there's actual alcohol in it. Um although it is safe for, for kids and pregnant women because it by the time it gets to you know, whoever's going to eat it there's so much cooking process involved and yeah. baked out that, you know, there's such a minimal amount in it already, but it really does does taste like it. You know, you get that lemon, you get the whiskey, you get the kind of like zing in the back, um, and there's a little maraschino cherry on it to kind of give a little flair. Okay. I, I, I thought that was really cool. So I just, you know, okay. I, I, I saw I saw advertise. I'm sorry I didn't order any. I was... Very close to. Next year, I will get I will get to yeah. it quick enough. You know, unfortunately, sometimes for me, Purim is just kind of swallowed up by the whole oh, yeah. Pesach thing because I'm, you know, I have my Pesach catering business. I actually start a week before. Right. Uh, yeah. I actually start a week I mean, before intense. Purim, so it's right. like really intense for me. It's really intense for me right now with about three weeks or so to go. So, um, yeah. It's I'm impressed you're doing the radio show. I have to give you credit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Lot. Thank you. But you know what's cool? I go, I'm going away now for. Pesach. 
I'm going oh, to Pesach, amazing. the Pesach program in Lake George, and I hope some of our listeners will be able to join me because we're going to do fun cooking demos and eating oh, and drinking incredible. and all that, all that good stuff. So much okay. fun. So much fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I just want to talk to you about your new, um, I don't want to call it job, but uh, the new, well, it's a new venture. New it's venture. A, a new That's the word. Mm-hmm. That's the word I'm looking um, for. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, that was the word I was looking for. New adventure in your new oh. culinary adventure. Working with OSAM. How cool is yes. that? It is very cool. Um, so I was actually I was approached by OSAM after Kosher Fest this past year. I did a demo um, at Kosher Fest this past year. And I did it for, for Israel. And OSAM was one of the companies that I represented. And I guess they liked my couscous that I made uh, with their couscous so much <laughs> that they um, offered to to have me on as, as a recipe developer and chef for the company. So it's very exciting. I'm working right now with our Passover line. And um, it's very cool because I get to work with all these products. Um, my kitchen is my test kitchen, um, so the commute's very easy for me. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Ohio. Um, so thank God it's been really good, and, and the products are, are great. I really love them, and they have a whole new campaign this year. All the products are made in Israel, so if you enjoy OSAM, you're experiencing Israel as well. A taste of um, Israel here in America. Beautiful. Mm-hmm, exactly, and and it's just a very it's a very uh, neat opportunity, and definitely you know check out their Facebook page, which is um, it's facebook.com slash osmusa inc, um, and you can check out all of the recipes that I put up there. I think I'm doing about 15 in total right now. There are about five up there, um, but definitely check those out. They're very very cool, and there's a lot of contests on the website as well. It's very interactive. You can ask me questions. You can write comments, you can enter your own recipes, which I would love to see, um, and it's just be it's a very exciting opportunity. So and we'd really we love to share some of those recipes on our own on this show. So, um, you know, yeah. if send in some, you know, if you're uh, sending something and you want to develop a recipe, you're, uh, do they send it to you, Alison, or through the website? Um, so they send it, if you go on the Facebook page, um, you can check out um, where you send it in. It's the click of a button. It's just contest, and then you can win... Um, $2,500. Oh, cool. <laughs> wow, <laughs> nice. If it gets picked. So okay, cool. But I'll, I'll give some of those recipes a shout out, you know, in a couple of weeks as they build up closer to Pesach. We'll, we'll, we'll give those, uh, re- recipes a mention on the show. Um, Great, I, I have to talk to you about your sliders for Pesach. Oh my God. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, they're a lot of fun to make. I always say, I'm like, if it's something that I'll eat the next day, cause you do make a lot of it. I mean, in the test kitchen or in the kitchen in general, you make a lot of what you of what you you're trying to to develop. So I said, if I would like to eat those the next day, I'm like, they're a winner. <laughs> right, right, right. So, they looked amazing. Now let's have... let's try to describe to people. It was like what 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 it is what I'm talking about because they're thinking sliders, buns, and how can we do that on Pesach? Yeah. So um, it's really it's, I use a potato pancake mix and um, by awesome. I made. Yeah, by OSAM. And um, I made little mini potato pancakes, and they're really easy to make. As opposed to sitting there and grinding the potatoes yourself, um, just pretty easy, you know, comes right out crispy. And then um, I made a slow-cooked uh, pulled barbecue chicken to put inside the flyers with a pickle and a tomato, and I used those little potato pancakes that I made as a bun. And so ah. you get that start, and you get that just very savory flavor, um, and you don't get messy. That's brilliant. It's not like a sloppy joe. It's just, it, so, it really is great because it absorbs the flavor in it. It's really, really great. So, so you're using mm-hmm. as the I'm going to do air quotes, air quotes, the mm-hmm. bun for the slider because it's Pesach 
is is potato pancakes. Basically, yeah. latkes. The latkes is the bun with, mm-hmm. with with the pulled. You could use pulled chicken. You could mm-hmm. use pulled you could uh, anything. Pulled beef, you leftover pull corned beef. <laughs> anything. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great way to use I mean, up leftovers. Yeah, use all your leftovers. They're, it's a great for colomoid or like even an appetizer for your seder. Um, they're just something fun and different and and exciting, you know. And people will be so impressed. <laughs> right, and 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 it's non gabrochs, is it? Right, I believe it's no, non gabrochs. It's um, I mean, it's fried, but I don't, I don't know actually. I don't know the ingredients exactly. I feel like there's there's actually, hmm, it's, it's me. So we're, get, we're gonna get if it does if it has a if, if it has a mozzarella in it, obviously you it can't use it. But it. people could make their own, take the same concept yes. and make their own potato latka, you know. Without flour, or you know, and then just make their their um, mm-hmm. you know, pulled beef. It might sandwich. be made with potato <laughs> starch, which might be good, but right. um, you know, definitely check it out. Yeah, <laughs> you are a good breath, Yeah, another great recipe. This is making my mouth draw, and I I would never eat a packet of Bisley plain ever. I just <laughs> I don't love Bisley. I just I never did as a kid either. I'm a big potato chip fan, and I've done yeah. The schnitzel. I'm going to take this time to do the what's for dinner segment, uh, sponsored by our friends at Gourmet Glap. And this is a favorite recipe of mine that I do for Pesach. You can take barbecue chips or plain chips and you crush them up in a food processor. Mm. Okay. And then you use that as schnit, as the schnitzel crumb. So if you don't have matzo meal and you want to have, um, schnitzel, you can buy non-gabrochs crumbs, but it's fun to use the fattening, of course. Um, mm-hmm. but you use the bread crumbs, um, which is your crushed up now potato, potato chips. So, you know, you do, um, I, 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 you can't use flour on Pesach, obviously. So I actually uh-huh. use, um, instead I do a potato starch is my Ooh. flour replacement. Then I dip it in egg and then my crunched up, finely powdered, um, potato chips or barbecue potato chips. And then that I put fantastic. them in the frying pan. And that's my <laughs> what's for dinner segment because my kids would like me to make that all year. It's amazing. Really delicious. Yeah, that's but, such a great idea. So you have done something even better than that, right? Oh, thank you. Well, I've done something to say better, but I would say definitely I it's a fun thing. Kids love it. I mean, just like potato chips, people eat bisley all the time. I mean, a lot of people eat bisley all the time, and um, it's a great way to get you know your kids to also eat the chicken. And my husband loved it. My parents loved it. My you know everyone everyone um, was really really loved this recipe, and I kind of made it more because you normally associate chicken fingers. Um, I coated basically the chicken fingers as opposed to using potato chips or breadcrumbs. I did. I crunched up some bisley and I coated the, the chicken fingers in the bisley. And there's a baked version, there's a fried version. But I kind of made a little adult esque, and Ooh. I put in. Um, um, so the kids have you know a balsamic ketchup that I that I made that they can dip you know with their their oh, chicken yum. fingers in. But also for the adults, I made a horseradish aioli or horseradish mayo in a sense. And so it has a little bit of a kick to it. So it's, it's kind of fun for those people who want that extra little kick, you know, to that. I'm sure there are kids who love, you know, that spiciness that, as well. That would go well <laughs> with a Bisley. That would go well with a Bisley favored chicken. Yeah. I mean, you could do, there's so many flavors that Bisley has. There's, you know, the, um, there's, there's a barbecue flavor. There's, I think, the pizza flavor too. There's a, um, honey barbecue. There's so many different types of flavors. Um, that, that you can choose from and kind of associate your dipping uh, choices to that. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Okay. You, do you, Gil, you know, Gil Marks is with me in the studio. Um, mm-hmm. Gil, do you eat a lot of Bisley in Israel? Do you see kids eating tons of it? 
Um, I the kids actually eat bomba more. Bomba. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why kids in Israel don't have. That's why they don't have the peanut problems that they have uh, here. Yeah, because yeah, they're not eating. I heard that they don't have it in Israel so much because little ki- uh, like the toddlers eat over the baby newborn babies, the siblings. Bamba, so it gives so them an immunity. Bamba's not particularly appropriate, I guess, for Ashkenazim for Pesach. Right, we can't do that. You know, Sadly. I never heard, it sounds crazy, I never heard of Kitniot till my year in Israel, okay? So I grew up in a very Ashkenazi Sydney Jewish community. Um, uh, I had heard of Gabrachs because my parents used to run a Pesach hotel uh, in Sydney for 28 Ooh. years. It was awesome growing up uh as that being my parents, uh, part of my parents' business, and I, we got to go away. Um, so that was that. Um, I just completely lost my train of thought there. Okay, so Bisley and Baba. Bisley, right? So, so um, you know, we grew up going away for Pesach, and we had all these, you know, traditional foods. And there was one family there who did not eat the matzah ball. That's where I was going with that. And they did not yeah. eat the matzah ball. So my because they ate gabrach, so the chefs at the hotel made a auction for them. But that's the only time I really heard of of uh, someone who didn't eat mm. gabrach. So you know, I definitely did not not know about kidney oil. And my year in Israel, I saw, saw something kosher at Pesach. I ate a packet of a propos. Right? It's a uh, what is it, Gil? Do you want to explain? Uh, I, I what I will tell you is that. When you go shopping in Israel before Passover for Ashkenazim, it's a nightmare. It's I, I know I had it, that experience. It's a nightmare. It, I remember my year in Israel too. It, it was like it's, you it's know, like, the kosher standard plus like I don't even know what I'm because, looking at because on Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, and a lot, but a lot of the foods are aimed kosher for Pesach for the non Ashkenazim for the Sardim and Mizrahim, so that they're kosher for Pesach. But then uh, you see that they have kosher for Pesach rice krispies and cornflakes and mm-hmm. all these things, and um, and Ashkenazim are looking at the labels. And you have to read it tiny. It's tiny writing, and I like. I'm in my forties now. Okay, I'm not as shy about my age, and it was tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny writing, and I couldn't read. You know. Mochrim, Mochrim is the word they use. Uh, kidney order, law kashash, law kashash, kidney orders. Well, there's all oh different things, God. and then, and there's some of them have labels that say it is kosher and it's not kosher. Um, uh, it's, it's, no, it's not standard, so it was a bit, so it was confusing. a bit hard. So, so, but I was very, so I ate this packet of a propos, and then somebody said to me, a propos is like a corn chip kind of thing. But I, I said, look, it says kosher le pesach. They go, if you ask, if you're Sephardic. And I'm like, oh, oh well, there you go. <laughs> well, you're, so, so you're, you're you know, I had my. It, well, now I'm Sephardic. Yes. My husband's family is, is uh, from Greece, so they they're okay, there. You go. Yeah. So <laughs> even though we do not eat rice rice on Pesach, but you know, mm-hmm. you know, I can lean on that. But whatever. <laughs> I it ate it all those years ago. It was right. was in the stars for me to marry a uh, Sephardic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so it was really exciting when I saw like a Bisley. It's like adding something else to the potato chip. You know. I know I'm going on about Bisley's. Yeah, <laughs> and no, it's a great I mean, snack. My kids love it on Pesach. It's the only time I allow it. You know, they, <laughs> they want it. I, mean, I feel like that's usually with a lot of things. You know, you're just like, all right, you can have that extra candy at Pesach. You know? Right, right. <laughs> it's so well, hard. It's well, almost a week after Purim, right? Hasn't been quite a week. And we're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, letting my little kids still eat taffies. I've been scrubbing her teeth very hard afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Our dentist, yeah. Dr. David Galler, out there in uh, Woodmere said, you you know, Leora can eat candy, but you must brush her teeth after every, you know, every couple of hours. You know, a little prone to uh, getting cavities. Yeah, so. I mean, it's, it's definitely it's one of those days. After I'm porn, it's like the one day. Just eat as much candy as you want. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, what else? That cooking adventures are we up to? 
So um, I'm doing so right. So for Osan, I mean, it's a it's a big thing, and I'm you know coming up with 15 new recipes, um, and I'm just coming up with actually the last one in about in about like this next week. Um, I'm also doing a cooking demo for a pre-pass for a pre-Passover cooking demo in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So if you're coming- if you're listening from Pennsylvania, and I know I have listeners from there because I get emails. How does one get in contact with you? Yeah, how do, how do they how do they find out about you? Um, it's in Harrisburg, so um, if you're in Philly, it's a little few hours away. If you're in you know Pittsburgh, same thing. But um, thank God, I think they're having about 50 people right now attending. So you can nice. just check out the Jewish Federation of Harrisburg, and I'll be doing a demo there this Sunday. And then uh, the Sunday after, I'll be doing a pre-Passover demo. That one's a meat one. And then the one I'm doing actually in Columbus, Ohio, which is in two weeks, um, that one's going to be a dairy, more brunch-like foods, which I'm actually doing um, another thing to do with the potato pancake mix, which I've, which I've uh, come up with, is I've made a, a quiche. So, but I'm using the potato pancake mix as a crust <gasps> for the quiche. So, and, and then I put it in a spring form pan so you can see, like, the beautiful golden, you know, crispy potato pieces all around it. I can smell it. I can smell it. It's it delicious. Now. Okay, say that again. In Israel, they call they would call that pashti da now. Pashti da, yes. pashti da <laughs> is in Israel is the kugel is becoming less common, and so and particularly anything in a crust like a quiche is called a pashti da from the mm-hmm. Sephardic dishes. So actually, yeah. So if you give it that name, you give it that Jewish. That's a good idea. Okay. So well. I my in laws they're both um, Israeli, mm-hmm. um, and they'll know they, that. Um, yeah, and they so they do. I've had it many times at their house. I didn't think about that. It's such a great idea. I should gear it towards Israelis by calling a pashtida. Or to Americans who are geared towards Israelis. Okay. Yes. Wonderful. Exactly. Wonderful. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having um, me. It's so, a pleasure. <laughs> I, I know it's an air of Shabbos and yes. uh, it's, a, it's a difficult day. <laughs> It's definitely a difficult day. A lot going on. Yeah, right? a lot going right. on. So really thank you. I've won- we'll hopefully have you back on and we're going to talk. Let's talk about the quick giveaway. You're going to be doing a giveaway oh, for our yes. guest. We yes, nearly yes. forgot. Chas <laughs> for Shalom. My my we'll be my... doing a giveaway. I think it's going to be on your website or? Uh, no, no, no. I'm going to announce oh. it now. If people oh, would like. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, we're doing it right now. We're announcing it now. If you want mm-hmm. a packet. Well, you're making a box of provisions? So we're making a box of um just different OSM products, new ones, old ones, all kosher to Pesach. Um, we have matzah, we have thin matzah, we have sparkle. Who doesn't want matzah? You know, free matzah on, on Exactly. <laughs> uh, milk chocolate covered matzah, potato pancake mix, like I was talking about, matzah ball mix, Passover roll mix. There's going to be Bisley in there, pound cakes. There's going to be everything. So, Fantastic. Um, if you want to win that. <laughs> yeah, if you want to win that, all you have to do is email me. The usual way how we do our giveaways, Naomi at NachumSiegel.com. And you'll be in a drawing. I will announce the winner via email, okay? So make sure you are signed up for uh, my newsletters, or if you want me to sign you up for you, I can do that. This will be announced via email. So please email me at naomi at nachamsegel.com. You will win a package of assorted products from Awesome just in time mm-hmm. for Pesach. So thank Make you. all of the things on, my, on the website, on the, you know, so definitely check that out and, and enter. Okay, wonderful. Allison. You're amazing. You're great. Keep keep them coming. Keep them coming. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely be in touch soon. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Good job. Bye-bye.
Okay, Alison Gutwax, that was uh, her joining us from Columbus, Ohio. I think they're an hour behind us. And I've got right now on the other line, I told you it was going to be an action-packed show. We're going to spend a couple of minutes with our friends and who's been on our, well, I've spoken about them on my show before. Um, I'm, I have on the phone Avi. Hi. Hi, Avi. How are you? Good, Ra- good. Thank God. How are you? Good, Bracha Shem. Avi Levy. Uh, from he, his, his title on his website, he calls himself Rabbi. Sh- uh, actually, starts off with Chef, Rabbi, and Bottle Washer. You are hilarious. Oh, thanks. <laughs> someone's someone's going to wash the bottles too. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, Avi, Avi uh, and I met a couple months ago um, at the Kosher Feast, Kosher Fest uh, uh, activities trifecta, I call it, going on uh, back in November. Avi uh, is the representative from um, Whole Foods Meats, who are, they are uh, lie, I'm sorry, they are grass-fed meat, okay? We're going to spend a couple of minutes talking about the beauty of grass-fed meats. Um, The company was actually, I'm just going to give a little bit of a rundown on what grass-fed meats is, and Avi will will chat a bit more together. Grass-fed meats, uh, Whole Foods, was founded by Devorah Kimmelbeck Block, and that means she decided she only wanted to eat uh, from animals that were um, free and not free roaming, literally roaming around on eating grass, eating what they should be eating naturally, not in pens, not force-fed, uh, not eating grains because cows really don't eat grains, right, Avi? Uh, that's right. They're cows? not meant to eat grains. You know, you didn't see the buffalo out there eating grains or cows and stuff like that. They, they, had, they eat grass. They ate grass, and they are the only glut kosher, organic-raised, grass-fed, domestic beef, lamb, um, and chicken, turkey, and duck, and they ship everywhere. One of my customers, and I was so excited that you know we're doing some work with Coal Foods now, is because one of my customers called me up, and being a personal chef, I really pers- try to personalize everything for my customers. She says, right. Naomi, I, 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 I like your food. You, 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 I've had your food before, but... Could you cook for me food from grass-fed, pasteurized chickens and, you know, um, uh, grass-fed cows? And I'm like, I know exactly where I'm getting it from. Oh, 100%. You know, and there is a difference, too. There's some uh, meats that will say grass-fed, but whole foods is the only ones that are 100% grass-fed. In other words, their animals never eat grain, and there's a difference. You know, sometimes... Some animals will be rain-fed and then grass-finished. Um, and it's not the same because, remember, you are what you eat. So if you're eating this grass <laughs> all the time, you know, it, it really does make a difference. You can see. And, and, and I'll tell you, you know, I, I was surprised because I, like you, read about them and heard about them. And I called them up one day and I said, you know, listen, can you send me some stuff? I want to I wanna do some, I want to I wanna try it. And we made a, uh, a rib roast. And, you know, a rib roast, a two- or three-bone rib roast, is usually a fairly dense piece of meat when you yep. pick it up, right? Yeah. This was, like, just, just uncooked. It was just, like, soft. You know, you just felt like, well, this, this, this cow just was, like, came out of the spa or something, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then they killed it. But, okay, um, I know. It's a little graphic, especially for our vegetarians that listen. But, but i got to tell you, we, we made that, and it, it cut with a fork. It's, it was really, really amazing. I was amazed when I, you know, when I met you, you know, the night before at, 
um, at uh, Kosher Feast and at the Kosher right. Food Bloggers, and then you you told me what you were going to be doing, and I'm always a you know I'm not skeptical or cynical at all, but you know I I didn't know. Let's see what the difference is really going to taste like. And then you had your demonstration at Kosher Fest, and you made this amazing cut of meat, medium rare, and I'd spoken about right. it on it before, and I absolutely fell in love. It tastes so different grass-fed meats. I could not get over it. I was always wondering why Australian meat and American meat had tasted different. Apparently, all Australian meat is grass-fed. So right. I, I was able to tell the difference um, once I had gone back to trying grass-fed meats again. You know, I always mm-hmm. say the lamb in Australia tastes better than American lamb. So I guess now I know why. There you go. And, you know, the, what you were talking about, the recipe that you were talking about is uh, uh, maple-seared shoulder steak that we made. And um, we took a shoulder steak, and they, they're taking it, like, right out of the silver tip roast, which is a very lean piece. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a nice thick steak. And I'll give you the recipe real quick because it's actually sure. or whole Anoth- bread or something like that. Great. You know, paste off or Great. whatever. Another what's for dinner segment. That's two for yeah. gourmet glass. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, okay go. But, but yeah. this is so simple and so easy. Yeah, we've got about three minutes. Uh, well, this will take 30 seconds. Oh, even better. You, you 30 seconds take, to make. Take, take the, yeah, you, you take the steak, put a little kosher salt on it, a little cracked black pepper, okay? A little... A hint of olive oil in a pan, heat up that pan really nice, sear both sides, okay? And then just at the end of the sear, you probably about, you know, uh, a minute and a half, two minutes per side, take a little bit of 100% pure maple syrup, and you can find it kosher for Pesach. You can get and kosher for Pesach maple syrup? Yes, pure, 100% pure. There's a brand called Adirondack that oh. has it um, with the um, Kuf K, uh, KFP K, K, uh, certification. Anyway, you take that syrup. Put it right on top there just to let it glaze on there. You want to do it at the end so it doesn't burn. Glaze it on there, take it, let it rest, you know, uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then just slice it down uh, sort of like you would do a London broil right against the grain and slice it thin and it's just melting. Oh, my God, I'm melting right now. (laughs) It's Uh, only early Friday morning and I'm, like, already drooling like crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's phenomenal. And and the best part is that when it's not paste, like you put it on a piece of bread or something and then you really got something going. Oh, something fabulous. Um, And all your meats are under the OU. Yes, all the the meats are under OU and the poultry is, is, in addition to OU, is also the uh, CHK. Which so is what? I'm sorry? CHK, which is a uh, more of a, 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 a Chabad to a, a sort of a Heksher. Okay. Uh, you know, a Hasidish Heksher. A Hasidish Heksher. A lot of Chabad sounds. But, you know, hey, there's some double certifications and a, a nice yeah, thing. Yes, a lot of packages now have four or five certifications. Okay, the yeah. whole world is going mad. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's wonderful. I really love the product, Coal Food Meats. If people want to reach out and order meats for Pesach, coalfoods.com. It's kolfoods.com. And there's buying clubs. Like in the New York area, there's a buying club, uh, which gives you free, one of the, besides the discount, it gives you free shipping, which is great. And, you know, I, I was hesitant, I'll be honest with you. I was hesitant, like, oh, they're going to ship me meat. I'm down in Florida. And it's going to take two days to reach me. Also, it comes packed in a cooler with dry ice, yes, and yes. the meat itself is like, well, you've seen it, it's vacuum-packed, um, what they call a cryovac pack, so it's totally sealed, uh, and they sent it down, and I, you know, I, I put Fan- some in my freezer and put some in the refrigerator to defrost. Absolutely it, fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, Avi, and, 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 yeah. yeah. We've got to wrap really up. 
We're going to okay. wrap up. Abby, no. thank you for joining me. But um, you're going to be a guest on the show right before Pesach. We're going to talk really? Pesach cooking and cold foods, meats, and yummy, delicious recipes we're going to have together. I would like to thank my action-packed show, my guests on this action-packed show, Gil Marks, thank you for sticking around and joining in with us. Uh, so we had Gil in the studio. We had Alison Gutwax all the way from Columbus, Ohio. And, of course, we have Avi all the way down in Florida where uh, I hope you're having better weather than us. I just want to wish everybody a Shabbat Shalom. Thank you very much for listening to today's show. You can reach me at Naomi at NahumSiegel.com if you want to win the awesome package. I want to thank Kerem for sponsoring our music right up until Lich Benching. Stay tuned. Shabbat Shalom, everybody.